Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. We are thrilled to be joined by Joseph Cook, co-founder and president of WPIC Marketing and Technologies, who recently returned from his first trip to China in 38 months, having spent a week and a half there as one of the first North American business people to visit China since the initial COVID lockdowns in 2019. We thought it would be a great opportunity to bring him back on the show to share his insights on the current situation in China. Today, Joseph provides insights into the changes in China that he's seen over the three years since he last visited. Our discussion focuses on China's economy and markets, examining how the country is expected to evolve in the future. We discuss sectors in China that have undergone significant transformations before concluding with a discussion on major upcoming marketing, sales, and shopping events in the country. If you're planning to expand your business into this lucrative market or even travel to China in the coming year, don't miss out on this episode. Enjoy. COVID changed habits in China, right? Whereas, you know, traditionally, like you're going out to eat four or five nights a week. And then all of a sudden that's kind of not really going on because there's some various lockdowns and there's all these food delivery apps. People are having their groceries ordered in. People start to cook. They discover how to cook. Now people are fitting out their kitchens with really high-end pots and pans, really high-end blenders like Vitamix. And then of course, like really clean, high-end expensive food ingredients to be able to cook in all of this equipment, right? So that whole vertical and sort of supporting and surrounding areas are all doing really, really well. They're going to continue to do well. Vitamins, health, wellness, nutraceutical supplements, an area that's always been hot in China is like 10 minutes now. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Joseph, thanks for joining us. Todd, great to be here. Thanks so much. All right. So where are you right now? Are you back now? I'm back in Vancouver. Yeah, back in my other home. So before we dive into the details of the trip, set the scene for us. How often did you used to go to China? When was your last trip? What were your memories from those previous times there? Yeah, well, my, my life in China goes back many years, as you know, back where you and I met, of course, um, back in the good old days, right? Uh, first went to China in uh, 2004, 2005 uh, to visit Jacob, who was living there because he moved there in uh, 2003. So I went out for some visits in 2004, 05, moved to China full time in 2005, 2006, and stayed there full time until right through until after the Olympics in 2008. At that point, I came back to Vancouver. Um, and as we started to get this business up off the ground, I was traveling to China about one week per month, and I was accumulating about 100 days a year in market. Um, Primarily Beijing, Nanjing, Shanghai were my main 
uh, travel corridors. And of course, traveling from Vancouver, it made for really easy transportation to get from my home here to my home out in China um, with that direct flight. So I used to catch either a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon flight, and I would fly to Beijing. You would usually arrive in China the next evening. So if I left on the Saturday, I'd get to Beijing on the Sunday evening. And then I would do sort of Monday, Tuesday, Beijing, maybe Thursday, Shanghai, maybe somewhere on Wednesday, like the Nanjing office, and then get to Hong Kong for Friday and catch that evening Asia flight out. And then you get back into Vancouver noon the same day. So leaving maybe Hong Kong or Shanghai around dinner time on the Friday and then getting back to Vancouver before lunch on the same Friday. And that was great. That cadence worked really well. I was able to do that trip once a month and, um, and sustain all my general responsibilities that I had and make sure that I had a lot of face time inside the market. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about traveling. Um, obviously you did it a lot before. Uh, I would guess that it was fairly rinse and repeat, you know, back in the day, as you went, a lot of things were pretty similar. You knew what to do. How was it traveling this time? What was the experience like at the airport or customs or just, uh, getting local transportation once you got there, any of that stuff? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a, there was, there was a lot of funny anecdotes that I experienced going back. And yeah, I mean, I, I used to do, you know, so many hours on flights between North America and China that it was, it was totally habitual. You know, I would rarely even unpack the suitcase. You know, I kind of had like a core kit, you know, I mean, I sometimes made decisions like the day before I was going to China and I just, you know, I booked the flight and I'm going the next day. That's how easy it was. And then 2019 in December, I was there. I left China December 3rd of 2019. And interestingly enough, like in our network from where we were, we had heard rumblings through some of the um, consulate and government networks that were involved in that something starting to come up and cook up out of Wuhan. And I came back to Vancouver on the 3rd of December and of course never went back. So fast forward 38 months, February 3rd of this year, 2023, Um, I land back in Beijing. My route to get back to China was a little bit more cumbersome than it used to be. So in order for me to get to Beijing with enough time on the ground, I left Vancouver Tuesday evening, flew to Hong Kong, landed in Hong Kong Thursday morning, Hong Kong time. So totally lost (laughs) Wednesday, didn't experience Wednesday at all. Landed in Hong Kong Thursday morning, did my COVID test that morning, And then I caught a morning flight on the Friday up to Beijing and I landed in Beijing at about 11 a.m. So touched down on the ground and immediately the emotions started to really swirl around. Right. And as you know, and anybody who's traveled to China historically over the years has known that when you land at Terminal 3 in Beijing, like you're going to settle in for the long run here to get through that airport. Right. An hour, 90 minutes, something like that. Right. When there's thousands of people trying to get through customs. I got off the plane. I. The airport was not empty, but it was thin, really well managed. You walk right through the airport. I went into customs, did my typical customs check. Now, for the first time in almost 20 years of traveling to China, for me, I've, I've done at least 100 entries into this market, right? I have at least 100 China stamps going into China. For the first time ever, the customs agent spoke English to me for a full-on conversation prompted me and asked me, what is my dealings in China? And I was 
I totally froze up because I was absolutely shell-shocked. Right? I've never prepared myself to ever answer a question at customs, right? Because usually it's head down, they look at your face, stamp, and you go. So I actually engaged in dialogue with this customs agent for the first time, which is really interesting. And as I'm walking through the airport, the security guards, people are looking at me like it was way, way, way back in the day when you would go to like a second tier town and, you know, you come in and you look different. You're a foreigner and you're obviously international and people are sort of curious and they're kind of giving you a smile. And when you gesture a, a bit of a smile back, like their eyes open up and they almost open up their arms and want to greet you and welcome you. I was experiencing that throughout the airport, right, through like the security and the customs agents and things like this, which is totally not the traditional protocol, right? It's a very sort of serious environment. But people are like almost ready to give you a hug to say, amazing, I guess we're open, we're coming back in. And this did feel like this was one of the first flights to get back into the market. I walked through the rest of the airport. I had my driver waiting for me. I was 17 minutes from the door of the airplane to the door of my car. Wow. Tip to tail. Yeah. So really fast experience, really seamless, um, very unusual experience with how welcoming it was. Um, I stayed typically at the Ritz-Carlton in Daolonglu there. Um, If anybody, you know, knows the kind of layout of Beijing, just a stone's throw from Guomao is typically where I stay. Um, I was arranged to stay there. So they sent the car to come pick me up. The chief concierge from the hotel actually came to the airport to pick me up. Usually it's a driver, but the actual chief concierge came out. So we were having great dialogue the whole way in. He was talking to me about the last three years. He was saying, we're so ready to do business now with international guests. Can't wait to welcome the world back in. So excited that I was there. I got a long history at the hotel. So there's, you know, like recognizing some of the, the staff who were still there. As we pull in to the hotel breezeway um, in front, the entire executive committee of the hotel is out there ready to greet me. The new GM, the head of rooms, the head of security, the head of HR, <laughs> the head of sales and marketing. It's fantastic. Like they were just short of balloons, basically, is what it felt. Yeah. It, was, it was really heartwarming and it was just a really nice experience. And again, everyone's smiling ear to ear. And everybody sort of everybody had their masks on, and I was kind of doing this at a chin strap, like you know, kind of just gauging the protocol here. And, you know, you're coming off again, keep in mind, like I haven't really like surfaced since Tuesday night, Vancouver time. Right. So at that point I just kind of ripped the mask off the entire executive team. Everyone rips the masks off and like throws them on the ground. And it's just like, we're done. COVID's over big hugs, doing lots of photos and stuff like that. Well, they're probably doing the same thing. They're probably trying to gauge the protocol with you. Totally. Totally. So, you know, it was just, it was, it was exciting. And I had those kind of great energy with that. Our office um, in at the kind of Huamau area in Daowang there is, you know, kind of right across the street. So, you know, um, take myself to my room and then I walk over to the office of Jacob and a bunch of the staff were kind of like racing out to meet me at the halfway point, basically to, to greet me. And I'm kind of walking through lots of familiar surroundings. I know all the retail, I know everything that's around there, right? Everything's buzzing. There's lots of activity, you know, making lots of eye contact with locals who are, you know, smiling and waving and, you know, gesturing hello and, you know, speaking to me in Chinese and things like this. And I had, I had a sense of welcome, um, <clears throat> welcoming from everybody that I really haven't experienced again, probably since like 2004, 2005, right. When you were still a little bit exotic being inside the market. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating what you're saying, because I'm thinking a bunch of different things. Like there was a kind of really nice welcome when you went to China, like 2004, 2005, I was there 2007, but you know, they were very, happy to have you, but it was reserved. I don't think they felt 
comfortable in knowing really how to welcome foreigners. So they kind of kept it pretty serious, kind of kept it pretty professional and just towed the line and, and a lot of that. It seems like they've relaxed into a more open sense of warmth and and maybe are a little more comfortable in their own skin of like how to actually now we've got you know 20 years of a lot of foreigners coming in and the whole thing and and now they they seem to really be leaning in on on how to really welcome you and are pretty upfront and open about it yeah, I think I think that's that's a fair observation, right? It's certainly what I felt, and um, I've always sort of witnessed this very sort of interesting dynamic inside the market. You know, Beijing for me was always home, and you know, you always had sort of interesting observations where you had, you know, you had you know hundreds of millions of dollars in any particular area of development just sprung up, and you know, within five years historically, I mean, that could have easily just been farmland, right? And so you've taken you know twenty five hundred years of like status quo in these areas. And then all of a sudden, you know, you throw up a, you know, 10 tower mega complex that can house 10,000 people and 3000 retail outlets. You know, you come in, you know, kind of from the outside and you think, okay, well, this is modern and it's sophisticated, but you know, as you said, there's all, there's like a disconnect between like what the culture in that particular micro area may be comfortable with versus like cosmetically what it looks like it should be. Right. And, and I've always felt, you know, in a lot of these areas, maybe not so much Shanghai, but like in Beijing and other cities, there's been such an overwhelming amount of investment put into these areas. Like, yeah, visually, cosmetically, structurally, infrastructurally, it's super modern, but culture takes time to catch up. Right. And my big observation that I had. And even just like the first moments that I was landing was that just a three year break from the intense amount of like infrastructural investment and the nonstop flow of capital coming in really, I feel gave the culture a chance to sort of like catch up into its own way and, and sort of determine how it's going to be and build its own culture in these surroundings. And I think that then came right through with just how people were welcoming and less kind of reserved and more so no, I'm a Beijing Ren. This is my home. I'm happy to welcome you back. And I'm confident to, you know, look at you and smile and say hello. And um, and it wasn't even just really people reaching out to me in Chinese saying hello. And there's a lot of people speaking English as well. Yeah, that's new too. Very new, right? Um, and it was really welcoming, right? I think if you if you just had sat back and done nothing but watch kind of like political musings over the last number of years you know, you probably wouldn't be out of line to expect there to be some element of like tension or distrust or whatever along those sides of things. Right. But in reality, on the ground, you know, my feeling is that they're saying, you know, that's that's a different world that we're not involved in. What we care about is like human to human contact, international trade, doing business, you know, maintaining some level of hospitality between the countries. And um, and it really shined through in an authentic manner. Nice. What about on the ground getting around? eating and even moving city to city. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I could probably parse that into like, you know, two different ways, right? There's, there's locally getting around dining, things like that. Um, You know, brands like Uber traditionally was an easy way to get around as an expat Um, hailing taxis in China, you know, traditionally has been like kind of every other, um, you know, city around the world where, you know, as a visitor, you can still hail a cab and, you know, you got a pocket full of cash and it's kind of all you need. Right. Um, that's different. So traveling domestically now is different. And I think international visitors will have to, you know, kind of wrap their heads around that. Right. So, you know, for mobility 
ride hailing apps like DD, you know, being one of the dominant ones in market. These are kind of hundred percent Chinese interface, Chinese characters. You definitely would need to have some comfort and capability around being able to sort of like read and write Chinese to be, to be able, I think, to function in the ride hailing apps. And I was talking to folks who have been in China for like three or four years who have never hailed a cab. So hailing a cab is like, it's not really a thing because every automobile in that entire market is 100% on the connectivity apps, right? So, um, you know, as a visitor coming in, right, you'd have to be able to navigate that a little bit. Um, I mean, I know the city, I can, you know, speak the language. It's not a discomfort, there's not a lot of discomfort for me, but yeah, certainly I think if someone's coming in, a business leader for the first time, they would be wise to have a minder with them, right? To uh, kind of handle their way through and through. Food's fantastic as always. <clears throat> certainly seen a big advancement and just food infrastructure, the culinary scene was really great. Um, um, as you know, right? Like I've been vegetarian for a long, long time. And, you know, China's where I go to lose weight because <laughs> I can't eat anything in that market, right? Japan too, in my travels, right? It's always a little bit of a struggle for me. Um, no issues this time. I mean, I check into hotels and long stays and like various, like not just the Ritz, but other places as well. I mean, there was QR code scanning for plant-based menus. Again, stuff I like never, ever ever experienced before, right? Plant-based pages on menus and things like this. And and just, you know, service staff being super comfortable. You know, we were at one restaurant and um, in Nanjing and there was like eight of us. And so, you know, the seven of them got this kind of special seven course thing and they did my own just straight for me, like my own kind of seven, eight course just for what, you know, was plant-based for me. Um, which again, never had that kind of accommodation ever done for me before. It's really just like, well, there's only a little bit of pork in this dish. So kind of, you know, you'll be fine. Right. It's how we spend the traditional attitude. Here's how we do four variations of bok choy. Totally. So what was great this time was that, yeah, I mean, there was a certain level of kind of accommodation for me and I'm certainly not striving to be that guy, but you know, sometimes it happens and, um, you know, anecdotes, like I got an infinite amount of anecdotes about little things, but I think if, if you know the market and you've been going there for a long time, these things start to like piece together a new China, right? And even at that dinner, when the, uh, when the bowels of the, the steam buns come out for the last course and they look delicious and I can't have them because it's pork inside of them. And I have a bit of a whinge, you know, to the service staff, she comes back two minutes later. She's like, ah, chef's just going to rig up a basket for you. No sweat. And then comes out with, you know, basically just rigged them up and, and folded them for me and brought them out in a big basket of steam buns. And, you know, it's, it's these little things, you know, for historically kind of would have never happened. And the amount of accommodation, you know, with these little things start to really create a new emotion around the market, um, which is fantastic. So, I mean, those are just little things like kind of within arm's reach that you're experiencing as you go through. Um, but then traveling city to city, um, you know, I flew from Beijing down to Hangzhou to get to our office, which I'd never seen before. Um, we flew out of T2, Terminal 2 in the Beijing Capital Airport, super seamless. That airport was jam-packed, T2 was jam-packed, like, just like the good old days. Um, you know, thousands and thousands of people anywhere you looked, boarding flights going all over the country, which is great to see. Like, the domestic travel was, like, clearly, clearly on fire. When I went into Terminal 3, you know, when I first landed, I mean, that's different. That's the international gateway in, and that that flight, commercial flight infrastructure is totally not back yet. But domestically, whew, it's on fire. So, flew out of T2, 
landed in Hangzhou. Hangzhou airport also totally full, lots of people. Typical kind of China chaos in any of these sort of gateway moments, but you know, a method to the madness for sure. And they can move a lot of people, definitely. Um, and then I'd never been to our Hangzhou office before, right? Because we developed it while I was absent from the market. Um, about a year and a half, two years ago, roughly, is when that campus came online. Um, so it was great to get there. We're in a new part, kind of like there's the Alibaba campus and we're right on it. Like we basically share the, the line with it. Um, <clears throat> so it's a very modern, futuristic part of Hangzhou. Everything looks brand new. It, it looks new like Pudong, Shanghai looked 10 years ago, right? Like super pristine. Everything's brand new. Everything's really nice and polished. That's what this whole area of Hangzhou looks like. Um, great to get there. Great to get into that new office. You know, meet you know 120 odd folks there who I'd never met in person before, and you know, meet the management, the leadership team, and um, you know, all the staff and all the practitioners there who are you know just executing their craft um, with passion and, and precision. And yeah, it's just great to get in into that city as well. It it really seems like China's now really really kind of uh, growing up. And, and, and no shade involved there. Like it just seems like with that level of customer, like they're, they're reaching kind of their international status that they obtained from economy. Now they're, they're starting to let that disseminate into a lot of other areas. And like you said, customer service, which they've seemed to take two steps forward where I'm almost finding over on our side of the ocean, we've taken two steps back. So yeah, good on them. That sounds like fun. So tell me a little bit about what you were actually there to do and how that went. Yeah. So we had uh, a handful of executives from our Canadian offices um, who've all come on board in the last three years who haven't yet traveled to China either at all or haven't traveled to China in their capacities with us. So they were slated to go, um, you know, 10 days ago, roughly. And I, I just felt a sense of responsibility to... Um, you know, be first through the through the door, basically, right? Um, especially for those that haven't traveled out there. Not that there's any issue with you know the rest of our team is being able to welcome them, but um, you know, it's close to my heart, as you know. I mean, this has been my life for a long time, and um, you know, with Jacob and his family there, like emotionally and um, you know, commercially, like we're very intertwined into the market, right? So, you know, I wanted to go back. I wanted to be first back through the gate. I wanted to make sure I was welcoming our team from North America when they got off the plane that I was there to say hello. Um, and also kind of signify, you know, to their families and spouses that I was on the ground. Um, you know, I'm just going to participate in this like kind of very first entry back into China, right. in the first wave to go back in. Um, and also though, and like really importantly is to get time, you know, I've been chomping at the bit, right. To get back in market, to see our, you know, executive team and management team and partners who are at WPAC, who have been with us for over 10 years to just see them and to sit with them and to shake their hand and, you know, give everybody a hug and, you know, kind of just rebuild that cross market cross-border cross-cultural thing that we have because that really is like the ethos of what it is that we are so it's really important to me that we're able to kind of maintain that and keep those emotional connections really really strong i haven't seen todd one of our offices right like our beijing one we moved the nanjing one we moved i mean when i left china in december 2019 i was drawing in the dust on the ground in a nanjing totally empty concrete facility with Jesse, okay, here's how we're going to construct out this facility. And then I was gone. 
And then she built it. She went and built these humongous footprints of office campus and logistics campuses and things like this. So, I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of square feet that I hadn't seen hundreds of staff I'd never seen in person before. Right. So a big part of it was just really to just rebuild that connection, you know, and basically as much as I could have gotten done in about a week, I still wasn't even able to go to all our locations. And that's, I mean, we were doing like 16 hours per city racing through, right? So the footprints expanded a lot. I'll obviously need to be doing more and longer trips as time goes on. Um, you know, we've opened a couple of very large logistics warehouse facilities in Nanjing, in China, domestic, as well as in the government bonded free trade zone. Um, I mean, these things are bigger than two or three Costco's put together, Um I tried to do a time-lapse video of like one of them just to be able to get a capture of like the size and the girth of these things. I mean, they're humongous, right? I mean, the, the enterprise has become, you know, quite large, um, you know, since I've been there last. And so it was just important to me to get out there and to be able to, you know, sit with teams and get the updates and, you know, look them in the eye and have a dinner and have a drink and, you know, kind of just rebuild that whole, um, you know, connectivity that we've always had over the years. Okay. So, you know, starting kind of maybe at the higher level of just the economy in general, I'll get to you about sectors uh, after this. But generally speaking, what do you foresee China's economy to look like for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's on it's totally lit up out there, like totally, totally, totally lit up. There's an insane amount of optimism. There's a lot of wealth right now. There's a lot of savings. People are very liquid in market. Right. They've been saving money. There was no stimulus. In China, there was no like real government stimulus in the consumer level like we had in the West. Um, but people have been saving and they're very liquid. Um, they're very enthusiastic. They've also branched out like on mass folks have branched out um, in terms of their own personal um, uh, favorability of various brands and styles and kind of, you know, corners of pop culture and stuff like this. Historically, there was a little bit of like, okay, the market's doing this and the market's doing this. Well, now it's just all going in different directions, right? Like you, you couldn't describe the U.S. as like monolithically going after like a certain subset of like pop culture or whatever, right? Because it's so wide um, in its diversity. That's a big change that I've seen inside the market. And so <clears throat> folks are finding identity in all sorts of different areas of lifestyle and culture that they're finding um, alignment with. And so this is providing a ton of opportunity. It's really eye-opening for me to see that in real time. Um, There's a lot of enthusiasm to purchase. There's a lot of enthusiasm to consume. People want to buy Western products big time across a lot of sectors, which I suppose we'll talk about in a minute. Um, Really keen to learn about what's new, really keen to understand like what's going on in the U.S., what's going on in Canada, what's going on in Europe, what are the new hot brands, like any new skate brands. People ask me about skate brands, you know and snowboard brands and ski brands, you know, like, you know, like remember the Olympics did happen last year in China, right? Like that just kind of happened. And, you know, I know it didn't, it wasn't a hugely successful games from a broadcast standpoint globally, but like they took it really seriously in China. Right. I mean, there's, there's data to support that there's more ski resorts now in China than there are in the U S right. Some big numbers. Right. So, so, you know, I mean, the market's exploring, you know, where they're going to find their fit with various types of products and brands and things like that, that they're going to want to align with um, huge demand for anything to do with health and wellness and nutraceuticals and makeup and food and all these great categories, right. That are going to do really, really well inside the market. So we're seeing really strong momentum and a real strong enthusiasm from the consumer level 
inside the market. And a lot of our B2B partners as well, you know, life sciences, health, diagnostics, pharma, stuff like this, um, advanced manufacturing and so on. A huge optimism in that area as well to fire up supply chains again, make sure this product flowing, make sure they can keep their manufacturing sector really strong by just being a great partner um, and be able to make sure that those pipelines are nice and clean and they're able to fire product through in a really fast and efficient manner. Nice. Wanted to give you an opportunity for our audience to call out sectors that you think uh, other sectors that have seen some dramatic metamorphosis or even deep dive into a few verticals that you're either thinking really interesting, like skate uh, or um, other products um, that you think are really flying right now. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we have seen movements in the market over the past few years. I know you and I have talked you know, quite a bit um, over a series of discussions that we've had about them. But, you know, a lot of that is still flourishing really well. So anything that's going to make you kind of feel better, look better and be better has always been really strong in the last number of years. And they're really taken off. Right. So anything in the food, like clean food, whole food space around things like snacks and ingredients do really well. We're seeing home appliance um, and home cooking and home wares be an area that have a ton of tailwinds right now. Right. Like, you know, COVID changed habits in China. Right. Whereas, you know, traditionally, like you're going out to eat four or five nights a week. And then all of a sudden that's kind of not really going on because there's some various lockdowns and there's all these food delivery apps. And people are having their groceries ordered in. People start to cook. They discover how to cook, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now people are fitting out their kitchens with like really high end pots and pans, which is a thing that never really happened before, like really high end blenders like Vitamix, right? Things like this. And then of course, like really clean, high end, expensive food ingredients to be able to cook in all of this equipment, right? So that whole vertical um, and sort of supporting and surrounding areas are all doing really, really well. They're going to continue to do well. Vitamins, health, wellness, nutraceuticals, supplements, an area that's always been hot in China is like 10x now right? With the speed at which it's going at and a diversification away from just like kind of the generic traditional, um, you know, nutraceutical brands and individual products and ingredients. So now we're seeing folks move into much more advanced formulations and much more sort of like micro breakdowns of the subsectors, right? With like microbiotics and stuff like this and probiotics, it's not like standard probiotic. Now people are actually finding the specific probiotics that are working really well with their health and their body, et cetera. Right. And so as that kind of um, ongoing education continues to advance inside the market, so does then the advancement of the actual consumer behavior, outdoor recreation, sports, fitness, big, big, big areas, right? This is like all a theme, right? Be better, look better, feel better. All these, it's like a big theme. So anything to do with sort of fitness-based gear from shoes to hats and everything in between, equipment, outdoor games, outdoor camping, hiking, backpacks, anything that's supporting just like pack up and go and be healthy and get your sweat on is doing really, really, really well. Um, music and entertainment is another area that there's a lot of energy around, um, which has had momentum, but I mean, you know, it's really firing up inside the market as well. Um, consumer electronics, always a reliable space inside the market. So yeah, there's a lot of fun activity in areas like that, right? I mean, we're doing less probably in areas of like automotive and some of the like bigger sectors as well, right? Like a little bit less in real estate, right? A little bit less in automotive, but tons of more activity in these more like 
you know, inside your home type purchases. So these are going to be the areas that like we're heavily focused on right now. Um, we're going to see another major surge in cosmetics and fashion. Keep in mind, right? 2022 was kind of a bit of a lost year in China. Not a ton of going out, right? Not a ton of like trying to look really hot being out there in the market, right? So like fashion brands were a little bit stale, a little bit stagnant, didn't have a ton of momentum because if you're not going out, not a lot of use to really buy like the updated catalog for the new season. And same in the cosmetics and um, and makeup space as well, right? But now that people are back out, like domestically, the market is like fully rolling, right? It's like very few masks, totally open behavior, people coming and going all over the place. Restaurants are open. People are going out, partying and having fun and intermingling like COVID never really happened. And so, of course, to support that, again, it's going to be more looking good, feeling good, you know. Um, and so, again, sticking with the theme, right? So it's all like it's all pumping really, really fast. Yeah. OK, that's awesome. We could talk about this forever. But when are you planning to head back? Probably before the next time you and I chat. Yes, I, I I guess so. Next major up and coming uh, marketing uh, sales uh, shopping bonanzas. You want to talk a little bit about the uh, you know upcoming calendar year, just as far as dates that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, so Queen's Day will be a big monster event coming up in March. Um, the parallel event in the West is obviously Women's Day in China. It's sort of known as Queen's Day. Women's Day, primarily Queen's Day. Um, <clears throat> that's going to be a big one inside the market that's going to go. Uh, we're going to get some big travel festivals inside of uh, April and May. And then, of course, the mother load of the first half of the year is going to be 618 um, that everybody's going to race to um, to have uh, tremendous opportunities there. You know, 618 is always signified in a lot of ways, probably the single most important global retail event for the first half of the year anywhere. Um, there's big expectations uh, around this. The numbers that e-commerce in China are generating right now in so basically, you know, January and February, which are traditionally like fairly soft, right? You're going to lose two weeks because of Chinese New Year, plus a bit of travel before, plus a bit of travel afterwards. Um, typically, you're like, it's a fairly low two-month period. Um, we're really strong. Like really strong and really strong, like just finishing out in December as well, right? Like they kind of opened the doors, everybody got COVID and then now nobody has it, right? And everyone's feeling totally fine. It's like there'll have to be some analysis at some point, right? On like how that happened. But, um, you know, regardless, at least from, you know, where we're operating, where we're focusing, right? We're seeing a real hungry market to consume and purchase. And so, you know, we're planning for a big Queen's Day coming up in a few weeks here. And then, you know, we'll be roaring for a monster 618. Um, that'll give us a good benchmark too on where we think the year is going to go. But, um, you know, there's a lot of big predictions out there with how folks feel the year is going to go. A lot of the big banks are putting out that kind of three to five, five to six. Some folks are even getting out there and saying 7% growth. Um, you know, we'll, we'll let them, you know, kind of produce all their analysis on that. Um, for us, you know, we'll be focused in the trenches, you know, where all of our brand partners are operating and just be looking to maximize um, top line and, um, you know, get these brands growing and acquiring new customer bases in a way that they can, um, you know, recognize a lot of bottom line as well. And, and that'll be what we'll be focused on. Yeah, for the first time in a long time, this is going to be a really, really, really exciting year. So for those of you looking to travel to China, might be a good time to to start putting together those travel plans and get back and enjoy uh, the new China uh, experience of traveling there. And uh, for those of you with brands looking to get in, now's the time, you know, make sure you get in touch with the folks over at WPIC and see what they can do to help you be successful in that market. 
Um, thanks very much, Joseph. For those of you listening to us on the podcast, don't forget that we have the YouTube channel over the WPIC YouTube channel. And for those of you watching the video and you need your eyes and ears and hands for some other things, uh, make sure that you remember we have the podcast as well. If you want the audio only version, it is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. But for now, we'll bid you adieu. Joseph, thanks you again for being another amazing guest on the show. Thanks, Todd. Take care. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.